Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The UK government has advised the public and businesses that if Britain leaves the EU without a deal with Europe, mobile phone roaming charges may once again incur additional fees. Excessive roaming fees were largely killed off by the EU law incrementally over the last few years to the point that now if you do travel to another country within Europe from the UK or vice versa, you can use your calls, texts and data like you would at home. Uh, But the government has been publishing a whole bunch of guidance statements this week around what to prepare for in the instance of a no-deal Brexit. And in its guidance statement related specifically to mobile phone roaming, in fact, it said that if we had a no-deal scenario, the government would legislate at least to ensure that requirements on mobile operators to apply a financial limit on mobile data usage while abroad is retained in in UK law, which is similar to the law that exists in in Europe if you go over your allowance, for example. And that limit, the government said, would be set at £45 per monthly billing period. So that's the maximum your network could charge you if uh, roaming fees are reintroduced. Now, the government insists that a no-deal Brexit is highly unlikely. Um, And in a Radio 4 broadcast this week, I heard Brexit Secretary uh, Dominic Raab say that even a no-deal Brexit wouldn't bring back roaming charges. And I've I've seen a whole bunch of reports now from websites that state that networks like 3 and Vodafone and O2 and others um, won't reintroduce roaming charges. But I've been doing a lot of research into this. And what what they all appear to have basically said is that they either don't want to, they don't plan to, uh, that it would be bad for business to do so, or or, or all three of those examples, but not that they 100% absolutely definitely commit to not doing it. And and so I think that there's a little bit of confusion there. But Ian, what's what's your take on this? I mean, how let's let's just assume for the sake of argument we have a no deal Brexit, we pull out and we have to consider roaming charges. What do you think is the most likely scenario? Um, well, I don't think that there will, will be roaming charges because I don't think it's in anyone's interest to reintroduce them particularly. Um, I, I mean, obviously, we don't know what business is going to look like if we do leave the EU and especially if we leave without um, a no with a no deal or with no deal, I should say. Um, so from from what I can sort of predict, I would suggest that um, for a start, the EU rule on no data, data roaming is um, included now in UK law, right? Because it was brought in with all the other laws. Uh, so for the time being, that law will stay and, and charging roaming would be different. If, if it is, I be- and I believe there is a law to it, right? Have you, you've looked into this. Is that is that correct? It is, it is, the law is for the EU that it is not allowed to charge data roaming charges at all. It's not, uh, the, the law is essentially that you have to be able to use your plan like you can at home. Yeah. But it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't stop you, it doesn't stop charges um, over and above your included allowance. Sure. It's, it, well, and, in, and there are often different usage limits when you're abroad as well, right? Because although three is unlimited, 
uh, data in the UK, it is limited in the EU. Uh, I can't use more than I think it's 12 gigs, right? Yeah, and some networks do also have a slightly different uh, take on on that. But but it, but the general principle is that you can use it like you can at home. But if you go over and you incur additional charges, you can't be billed more than I think the EU law is 50 euros. Ours is going to be 45 pounds, which is about on you know about parity there. Yeah, now you see that is that is a that is an interesting point that you've raised there because actually um, ignoring the service providers for a second because we'll come to that in a bit um, that sort of suggests doesn't it that actually roaming charges could come back but there might be a cap on the amount you can spend. No, that's that's literally what's being proposed is that if that the, if they do come back there will be a cap. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's no good, is it? Because um, a cap is no use to anyone. It, 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 you could reach that £45 limit like you would in America, you know, within minutes, literally within minutes. If you, if you get off the plane in the States and, you're, and you don't have a roaming contract, um, you know, and your, your iPhone decides to download some podcasts, you're scuppered, right, at £7 a meg or whatever it costs for most, uh, you know, non-EU uh, roaming. Um, so, yeah, so, so from that perspective... Uh, that cap is useless. We might as well we might as well disregard it because it's it's not helpful to people. That's not what people want. People want to be able to go to countries and even if it, even if they have to pay to pay a a fair amount that's you know ideally an amount included in their their tariffs. Now, obviously, the law if if that's the case, if there is a law that prevents them charging, then that's fine. It will be in the UK law. It will be the same. The reason that that it works, or at least. The reason the law works is because it put everybody on an equal playing field. No company yes. wanted to be the first or the last to introduce something because it can negatively damage them. And I think you could see the same thing in reverse if roaming charges were reintroduced, because who wants to be the first network that says it has to reintroduce mobile charges? You know, it's instantly going to either lose customers just by the fact that that is a change in their contract or the fact that other networks will jump on it as a marketing opportunity and the the benefit of the increased customer acquisition um it will offset the financial cost to actually taking that customer if they happen to go abroad and use a bunch of of data and all of this is hypothetical because we could have a uh, a, a deal brexit there's the slimmest possibility we have no brexit or a delayed brexit um and all of this is up in the air but i've just seen a lot of conflicting reports since this um this guidance paper was was published that said that all of these mobile phone companies in the uk um you know aren't going to reintroduce it whereas strictly speaking they're saying they don't want to and aren't planning on doing it but that doesn't actually mean that they won't but they wouldn't say that anyway would they i mean it's not it's not in any company's interest to say we're going to put the prices up soon or eventually or whatever it's not the way that business works i i i don't think it will be a problem i'm more worried about literally everything else um and ultimately there was always the opportunity to buy an eu sim if you wanted to so you know and and we've just seen apple uh, you know announce that multiple sims are coming to iphones which obviously was a an an unusual thing to happen um so perhaps in the future um it will be companies like apple that will hold the power and they will say well you can have two sims now you know you don't need to worry about it you could just load on an eu sim while you're abroad and and pay very little for data let us know any thoughts you have on this topic, of course. Hello at techpodcast.uk or send us your message in the form of einen tweet. Not quite sure where the German came from there. Uh, at text message pod. We scour both of those places for your opinions and we would love to include them next week's on next week's show. <laughs> 
As a reminder, you're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And if you're one of our patrons, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. But if you're not a patron and would like to get our ad-free extended versions or listen and interact with us live, we've got a whole bunch of people in the chat room right now. Hello to you. Then head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech to get instant access to our entire back catalogue of extended shows. And remember, there's no commitment. Uh, Sadly, also to remember, we have no new patrons this week, but thanks to everybody who is supporting us on Patreon, Patreon, you guys make the show possible. EE will no longer be the only option for British customers wanting to use an Apple Watch as a 4G phone. As Vodafone said, its network will support Apple's latest flagship, which was announced Wednesday, along with new iPhones. Now, we'll talk about new iPhones when we've actually used them, but you don't really need us to go over the fact that they exist or what their specs are. Although later on, on the extended Patreon version of the show, we are going to do a little few minutes just talking about our first impressions, as we know you guys like to listen to us geek out on that sort of stuff. And we're going to do a much bigger review, most likely next week, for everyone once the products are in our hands. And uh, also, apologies, this is the top half of this show has become a little bit of a uh, mobile phone-centric episode, but unfortunately that is the nature of the game and this week there's just well it was always going to be a bit like this wasn't yeah, it and this week it was i mean it's hard to avoid there's just been there's just been a lot of it to, to talk about but anyway back to the news customers are going to be able to use the apple watch to make calls using the same number as the iphone that it's paired with even if the phone is switched off or out of battery now this is according to a spokesperson i spoke to at vodafone this week uh, as i was writing a story on this topic for bloomberg uh, vodafone also confirmed it's going to support the current Apple Watch models, which is to say the uh, the Series 3, which has LTE and is currently only supported by EE. Now, this is a, an important change for more than just Apple customers, and this is why I really wanted to talk about it. For the current 4G-equipped Apple Watch, networks had to physically alter the way that their infrastructure was set up to support one phone number across multiple devices and to use eSIM chips, uh, which are unlikely, uh, which are or rather, which unlike the removable ones we're all used to, are actually embedded within the products themselves. Now, this is going to be important for things like Internet of Things devices. We're all expected to have, I don't know, somewhere around a trillion devices each uh, per square footage of our own houses before too long. Um, But also more immediately, because eSIMs aren't exclusive to Apple, other products that use them can potentially be added to the networks that support the technology. I did a little bit of a research on this, and uh, that includes Microsoft's latest Surface Book Pro tablet that uses an eSIM. There are certain laptops from HP and Lenovo, and also the most recent Samsung Galaxy Watch, which I think was only announced last month uses an eSIM but so far EE was the only one um, to have done so in Britain but it won't be long I imagine before we see other uh, networks support this technology. I know a little bit of trivia. I would I would mate honestly I wake up every morning and I I put my pants on and I I have a cup of tea uh, then I sit down and then I think I wish Ian was here because I'm because I need some trivia. Yeah yeah um well, I mean, the, the the whole reason that you couldn't have two phones on one SIM, one number, you know, one account, as it were, was back in the day. It was it was it was more of a security thing. I mean, this was this was years ago when I was um, when when I think digital phones were first a thing. And 
yeah, in fact, it must have been. Um, and, it, you know, the, one of the questions that, because I used to work in Curry's and my my friend Nathan was like a, a full-timer there and he did a, he had like these meetings with the providers, obviously, as, as they still do to this day. And he said, so why can't you have uh, two phones with a, with the same number? And they, they said, well, it's a security thing because obviously it means, you know, it, we can't have people being able to clone numbers and using an unlimited number of phones on the network. Um, so it, because it, it was always like a thing, you know, why couldn't you have a phone for, you know, the house and a phone for the car all on the same number? Um, but of course, they've probably managed to work out how to make it much more secure now and much more, you know, easy to keep it safe. But it's actually quite exciting because I think the future of, um, you know, things like 5G offering connectivity to lots of devices it could just be a start of something that's a little bit more free than just having one phone how useful most of us would find that in a world where we're really not making phone calls that much i don't know but it's an interesting possibility and i think you know the the key thing here is is to bear in mind what's happening with 5g and to put this into context a little bit i um i actually spent a little bit of time last week with the head of bt uh, well not the head of bt but um she was a uh, very senior woman at at BT who's in charge of deploying a lot of technologies for EE and we were talking about the the kind of fundamental difference between a 4G mast and a and an equivalent 5G mast uh in terms of the capacity they can individually hold and 4G is somewhere around the 10,000 devices per cell so if you want to double mm. capacity in an area uh, to co- accommodate 20,000 people, you need to double the cells. 5G is measured in something ridiculous like 10 million or 5 million. It's, 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 an, it's like a thousand times greater capacity. And so that argument that you were talking about that your friend at Curry's had many, many yeah. years ago about not overloading a network or having too many devices, that sort of rendered you know nearly obsolete, at least for the foreseeable uh, near and medium term future yes. because we're never and it's, it's never going to get to that point and it's quite important isn't it because a lot of a lot of people are sort of you know doing hand wringing about 5g and you know what it will offer and the reality for 5g isn't really that it's a um it's 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 not a, it's not so much of a new standard as it is an opportunity to provide things i mean the internet of things is what gets spoken about most um because it's obviously what people are thinking about now but the idea of having a lot more devices that can connect to a network. And you were, you were saying um, something interesting the other night, weren't you, about um, Probably. how the 4G network is the backbone of the 5G network. Like You have to have the 4G network before you can have the 5G one. Yes, the 5G is dependent on 4G. Um, but, but in the same way that 3G, in a similar way rather, to how 3G was a necessary... Uh, legacy technology to keep around for 4g because initially 4g didn't support voice so if you made a phone call over 4g it would actually drop down to the 3g network but now 4g is capable of supporting voice and and uh, you know most networks support that and so a lot of networks are just going to drop 3g altogether which i'm not entirely happy with for what it's worth because depending on the frequency of the network that um you know you um you can sometimes have a better experience with with 3G in maybe yeah. indoors or something like that. And Stephen Huxtable asked in the chat room, uh, is 2G gone altogether? No, it isn't, actually. 2G is still around and is used a lot by um, things like emergency services and there's certain uh, restrictions that networks have, I think, legally or contractually in, in response to their um, 
requirement under licensing spectrum rules uh, that they have to provide a, a basic telephone service across you know basically a hundred percent or nearly a hundred percent of the of the uk's land mass and so you find a lot of companies actually deploy new masts in order to cover a very tiny area of land that doesn't have any coverage because they they have to and it's expensive how does that work with with companies like ee though that have never had a a 2g network um, well, they, 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 they have it, they had orange but they have, they, ha- they? they have a 2G network. I mean, 2G isn't, remember, 2G isn't specific to data, you know. No, I know, I know, but it was it was more that it was because I can't, I, I'm getting old, obviously, and because 3 never had a 2G network, did it? It used to rent orange, was that right? Orange it, or T-Mobile? Initially, it, two, initially it? it did, yeah. yeah. And then they killed that off, so they didn't have anything, but you can make voice calls over 3G, so yeah. that therefore that problem was null and void and i guess exactly yeah and this is this is why it's so interesting when we talk about things like eSIMs because if you have um if you're in the apple ecosystem you can assign your apple id to ring a bunch of your devices you know your laptop your ipad your phone your computer all at the same time if someone phones your phone number but that's all done on apple's side with just some clever forwarding of of data and routing of data the idea behind the eSIM technology is that you could have that exact same experience across all your devices regardless of manufacturer and essentially have one phone number that applies to multiple devices like that is technically something that it could it could do it won't be because it's always going to be to do with data rather than phone calls you know and that's a big a big big difference and all of these devices just want to do it for um for data but um but anyway that's why it's interesting that vodafone has now started to offer the apple watch and hopefully that's given you a little bit of understanding as to why it's more interesting than perhaps you may first expect let us know any thoughts you have on this of course hello at techpodcast.uk Ian, have you ever been watching a live stream of something everyone else is watching on TV only to have highlights spoilt for you on social media by a few seconds because your stream was slightly delayed compared to what other people were seeing on their regular telly boxes? No, never. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, because I don't watch sport and that's literally the only thing I can think of. And I wouldn't be on Twitter if I was watching a drama. Mm, strictly speaking, I never said sport. I said a live stream of something everyone else is watching. Now, that could be... For example, the Great British Bake Off. It could be a celebrity vote the worst person off television type thing. No, Um, don't watch those. (laughs) Well, I have. I've had many Great British uh, Bake Offs spoilt for me by this this issue. But this is more of an issue, I think... um, for sports, uh, and definitely if you're really, really obsessed with who's going to get voted off the, you know, who's got the best lungs or longest spine or whatever the recent voting off a person game show trend is, um, because mm. obviously that can that can be extremely upsetting. But the BBC's <laughs> R&D Centre has been working on a solution to this that if deployed, it said this week, would put a live internet stream on equal footing to a terrestrial freeview broadcast. Now, I can tell, Ian, from the sound of your heavy breathing that this excites you to a point of near arousal. Um, Now, this system is highly technical, as you can imagine, but here's my own um, little explanation of how the highlights of the BBC's experiment works. Uh, Today, when you stream a live football game, for example, you're not actually streaming it directly from the broadcaster. You're streaming it from 
uh, what's called a content delivery network or CDN, which simplistically is that little, it's kind of a middleman between the broadcaster and, and you. Um, the broadcaster encodes a few seconds of live video and passes that to the CDN. And then it's the CDN that optimizes that in order for being you know to be distributed to huge numbers of people simultaneously and each of these little steps causes a tiny bit of delay or, or latency so one of the bbc solutions that it's sort of prototyping right now is essentially to just not wait for a few seconds of video at a time and to just push everything progressively through when it's available um, but that requires a change on the parts of these content delivery networks in order to support so you need to get like a, a whole bunch of industry investment to do this uh, and the bbc also also said that it wants to make sure that if you have a super fast and reliable internet connection that you're not being forced to you know to to uh, buffer the same amount of content as someone whose connection is a bit flaky or slow which is often how it works today um, and this is these are just sort of two examples of things that it's working on um, and Engadget had a nice summary of this as well, but it also pointed out that Microsoft's Mixer game streaming service comes close to offering near zero latency. So it's all possible. It's been about priorities, I think, up to this point, and terrestrial broadcasters have been a bit more focused on, on their catch-up service content and, and advertising models and maybe a little bit less focused on um, you know on latency of streaming and, and perhaps understandably but I think that this could make a big difference for people who want to kind of ditch the the, the cable box as it were and and move entirely to streaming and certainly I would appreciate it for uh, for Eurovision but Ian I, I get the sense that you couldn't care less I couldn't care less. That's absolutely true. I mean, I, I obviously I do care because I think the technical details of it are really interesting, and I think that um, it, you know, for live streaming, it's it, it, it's inconvenient, I suppose, um, if you're watching the news, for example, and you know they say it's nine o'clock, and you look at your watch, and it's nine o one or whatever. I mean, I mean, it doesn't. I don't think this ever really matters to anyone. I can see why it would be a nice thing to tweak, and I and I like the idea of uh, the fact that someone somewhere is sitting down and have a little having a little think about it. I tell you what, mate. Honestly, um, I, I have to disagree. I think this will matter to a lot more people than you probably think. Like, why? Well, I mean, for example, imagine you are out. Maybe you're at work or something, and and you don't have a television, but you you are yeah. able to stream a game well, on then your. Presumably, I'll be working. Some people can multitask. Um, <laughs> I can't. And they, so, they can watch enough. a live football game while simultaneously doing work or something along those lines. And for those people, you know, who may well have people around them who are who are watching on Twitter or shouting something out, like just being a little bit ahead of that, it removes that annoyance factor of essentially having your, um, you know, goals scooped or if someone's voted off uh, Britain's best uh, chin competition uh that you're you're not having that spoiled a few seconds too early i think it is important to some people not to me obviously okay. not to you but fine i mean late latency is a, a pain it's it's one of the things that ruins everything for everyone so i mean you know fine if and the more time gets spent thinking about latency and how to reduce it the better every experience will be essentially um it would improve my gaming experience if people were you know like well we've discovered this way to make latency less then great yeah um yeah but i i can't get excited about not having the outcome of bake-off sport for me because i never watch it and i don't care it's baking how can you make a baking thing a, a competition it makes no sense nah, i think 10 million people a week would probably disagree with you <sighs> yeah maybe mm, probably definitely i'm not i'm used to being contrary to the rest of society's opinions 
Yes. Well, so am I for the majority of the time. But unfortunately, um, on this occasion, I have to fall in line with the status quo and and just think, you know what? I don't want to know whose buns have been burnt before they've come out of the proving drawer. It's not how baking works, actually. Pangolin Sandwich in the chat room says that um, we watch Bake Off five days late without spoilers. And with that in mind, no stream is five, has five day latency. So maybe all of this is an entirely moot point. But there we go. <laughs> and also she said, shut your face, Morris, which I think really would cause problems for this podcast. I mean, you could do it on your own. But if you want to do that, presumably you would already. Uh, yes. And I don't. I don't <laughs> wish to do it on my own. Some things are better with two people. That's very true. Hello at techpodcast.uk. What's your favourite thing to do with two people? Sky has partnered with the Walking Dead producer Skybound Entertainment to create a new joint mobile venture, Skybound Stories. Uh, This is according to a gamesindustry.biz write-up this week. The industry blog said that Skybound Stories will focus on the development of narrative-focused mobile games using episodic formats and allowing for player choice, i.e. different outcomes or scenarios, rather than a linear, unchangeable story experience. Um, The venture will create new worlds and fiction for some of its games, while others will use existing stories and shows for inspiration, commonly known in geek parlance as new and existing IP. So what could this mean? Well, I went through uh, Wikipedia to find a list of shows that Sky has originally produced to find out what my favourites were and realised that one of my favourite of all time that Sky produced was called An Idiot Abroad, which was the uh, the comedy travel programme fronted by Ricky Gervais's mate Carl Pilkington. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to have a role-playing game where each week you get to navigate a virtual Carl Pilkington through a bizarre world of challenges? Like... I think that would be a fantastic way of promoting a television program. I would pay it. I might even put down some in-app purchases. That is the kind of renegade I am. Or let's not forget the other Sky um, classic, Gadget Geeks, the uh, weekly consumer tech show hosted by... um, Ian, who hosted Gadget Geeks on Sky? I don't know. Some guy. Uh, I think he's got a Top Gear show now or something like that, hasn't he? That was Rory, but there was was another person I know. Um, oh, was it, it was it was Emma Barnett you're thinking of? Yeah, she's got that uh, Radio Five uh, show. No, yeah, a, another yeah. another one of our friends. Um, oh, I know who it was. Oh, uh, Tom Scott. No, 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 Tom Scott. He's very big on YouTube. No, he's not one of my friends. the the other The other one, uh, it was you. That's right. It was. It <laughs> was, was it? you. So, it was yes. So just imagine everyone a game where you could play something like Ian Morris Simulator or Ian Morris Tycoon <laughs> or Theme Ian Morris, uh, like Theme Hospital or Theme Park or something like that. Like that is the future that Sky is literally promi- promising us will happen. There's no hyperbole in that whatsoever. Sky is going to make an Ian Morris simulator game. Well, back to the news, uh, because, of course, that happened last week, which would make it the olds. Um, I think this is a very smart idea. I mean, the Walking Dead series has been, I think, highly successful. It's... um, uh, It's... It's been a... It's both a popular show, popular um, game. Oh, God, and they've they've, they've announced they've got a 10-year further plan for it. Good grief. Uh, But Skybound are quite good, aren't they? They're quite quite acclaimed as a game producer. People like the stories. Um, They have a very specific style to them, don't they? But they're not... um, but But it's all about the story with those things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Skybound Entertainment, I think, has been around for, for 
a few years, maybe 2010, something like that, I think they were founded. So, you know, relatively recent, um, but the company is very well acclaimed. And so it seems like a good a good partnership. I just hope that they pick the right stories and the right programs to do this with. And I think it could be very, very successful. I remember back in the 90s, there was a really experimental show on, I think, maybe ITV, where it was essentially a choose-your-own-adventure story, but on live television. Or not live television, but they filmed multiple different parts of the show and and in the ad break you would call in to you know to choose what the next thing should be you know should the the you know woman a say this or say this or should man a do this or do that and the most popular outcome would then play in the next segment and then in the next ad break you choose you choose the next and I, and you know it obviously didn't work super well otherwise it would be a format mirrored today um ad nauseum well it's it sort of is a bit because netflix does interactives um they're not um they're not great like they there's one for um oh, i can't remember what's that Oh, but they've got several anyway, and they're mostly aimed, they're aimed at children. Um, because as you probably remember as a child, choose your own adventures were quite a big thing, right? You know, you would uh, you'd have a book and you'd have to decide what happened, or you'd, you'd roll a dice or something like that. Yes. So it, the idea is solid for sure. Definitely. I mean, it worked at the time because you could charge people fifty pence a call to call in and 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 do that. But yeah. you know, part of me, with hindsight, just kind of wants to know: well, what were the many other options that could have happened? You know, did they broad put them out on a a VHS? In fact, could you imagine choose your own adventure on VHS? You know, <laughs> fast fo- fast forward this. Fast ten forward. Minutes. In fact, no, I'm pretty sure that was a thing. Really? Actually, good. Lord. I'm pretty sure it was because you know one of the things about um, DVDs when they were introduced was that it, they were sold as a oh, there's seamless branching, so you can yes. um, you press a button and it would take you to a completely different outcome. So the idea was obviously you could use that to watch either the um, the director's cut or the not director's cut. You could just leave it alone and it would do that. But of course, the idea being that you could have a, a game as well, but it doesn't work because those formats are optimised for video watching. They're not optimised for games, so they're a nightmare to use. Well, what wouldn't be a nightmare to play? That's the question. Uh, if you have an answer, I would like to propose a television series that would make a fantastic companion to a game or realistically vice versa as is the nature of this story then do let us know hello at techpodcast.uk Now, we didn't have uh, any massive emails come in over the last week. I think people are still getting used to the fact that we're just back from our summer break. Um, but we did have one question that was sitting in the inbox from Matt, one of our patrons, who said, are there any plans to celebrate the 150th episode in the same way you did the 100th? The simple answer is no, we haven't. Uh, but the less simple answer is no, but... What would you like us to do? Is there something we could yeah. do? I mean, I'll be honest, we're not going to do a live show for 150, maybe for 200. That's quite possible. But for, for but for 150, um, we we hadn't thought of anything in, in particular. So let us know if you have anything you'd like us to do for episode 150, which will be coming up. That'll be interesting to probably, find out. When is it? Uh, mid to late October. Uh. You know, if there's something that we you, we would like us to do, then let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Obviously, you can tweet us at textmessagepod with your thoughts. Or if you're one of our patrons, pop it in our Discord channel or at patreon.com slash UK tech. Text message, of course, keeps you informed, very informed about the British tech landscape. But let's check in with our friend Tom Merritt, a daily tech news show in the US and hear what's been happening in the wider world of tech 
over the last week. Hey, welcome back. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back here telling you about the stuff we talked about on Daily Tech News Show last week, including, of course, all the big Apple announcements. We'll tell you whether we think you should buy any of them, and if so, why. And we talk about whether Facebook, Google, and Amazon are too big to let exist as they are. Should they be broken up? All of that and more coming up on DailyTechNewsShow.com. Thank you, Tom. And that's true. If you can't wait for some further smart analysis of Apple's announcements from this week, do check out the relevant DTNS episode from this week at DailyTechNewsShow.com. We're saving the bulk of our impressions for when we get the products in our hands, likely just in time for next week's show. And thank you to our patrons supporting us every week. If you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free extended version of each week's show, plus listen and interact with us as we record live, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech and help us finish the month with one more patron than we had last month. Plus send any comments to hello at techpodcast.uk. Follow us on Twitter at textmessagepod to keep up to date with all the most important UK technology headlines throughout the week as we go. And thanks to everyone listening to us on our free ad-supported feed too. Um, if you have just a minute to leave us a review on iTunes, it really is the best way of supporting us without spending a single penny. And uh, From me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. We'll see you in a week. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 